Let's bow our heads together. Well, Father, here we are tonight. There's so much confusion in the Christian world today in relationship to law and grace. So tonight, would your Holy Spirit show us the truth in your word, for by knowing the truth we shall be set free from Satan's lies and deceptions. May we feel your very presence, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this, I want you to turn over to Revelation chapter, seven, chapter 12. And this is why we're studying this subject tonight, is because Revelation is very plain about this. And yet today we have many Christians that have a hard time putting this together. Not only just regular members, but even pastoral staff have a problem sometimes of reconciling it. We read in Revelation 12 and verse 17. Now the dragon, who's the dragon? So the devil was wroth, that's an old English word for mad. So the devil is mad at the woman. What's the woman in prophecy? Church, okay. So the devil is mad at the church and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Now what's a remnant? The last part, isn't it? You know, I've learned that, uh, you know, uh, if you went down and bought some red to be able to make something and you didn't get enough and you go back and the bolt's gone, you better hope you can find some on the remnant table, right? Because you just can't put reds together, amen? You know, some, some of the newer versions here use went to make war with the offspring of her seed. Now, I prefer the word remnant. Why? I have five offspring, and none of them are exactly like me. Now, my wife used to say, thank God. But remnant has to be identical, doesn't it? Just like the first piece that came off the bolt, the remnant has to be exactly the same. So what this is saying, exactly what Jesus brought forth and started the new Christian church the last part of it, it's going to be exactly the same. Are you with me? So we went to make war with the remnant. Well, how do we tell them? They keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Anybody know what the testimony of Jesus Christ is? I'll give you a hint. Good for you. Okay. They keep the commandments of God and believe what the Bible says. Amen. How much of it? All of it. Now, if you turn over to Revelation chapter 14, and as you look in chapter 14, it tells us in verse 12, after it describes those who get the mark of the beast, okay, then it says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Remember we read last Friday night that the beast power thinks to change times and laws. Are you with me? And so what have we read so far? As we look at these things, the remnant, exactly like those that Jesus started in the beginning with 12 guys, okay, are going to be exactly the same in the end. They're going to keep the commandments of God to be saved, right? No, no because they... 
because they are saved. Could I say it that way, Laura? We keep the commandments of God not to be saved, but because we are saved, because Jesus said, if you love me, right? And then Jesus says, I am the way, follow me. So why would we read the Bible? To figure out which way he went. Amen? Does that make sense? All right? And then they believe in the faith of Jesus, which means they are saved by grace through what? Faith in Jesus Christ. Now, folks, here John's pretty well set the stage, isn't he? For those in the very last days, those who don't get the mark, they're going to keep the commandments not to be saved because they are saved. They're going to read God's word not to be saved, but because they are saved. And they're going to believe they're saved by grace, not by anything they can do or not do. Does that make it plain? And by the way, in the Bible, there's three kinds of truth. I just gave them to you. And devil hates the truth. You understand why he's mad now? He hates the truth with a passion. Now, I want to preach you too many sermons. Now, I don't mean that too many. I mean many, okay? And I'm sure that virtually everybody in this room, at one time or another, has heard at least one of these sermons. I want to begin over in Romans chapter 6. And verse... 15. The Bible tells us here What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law? Verse 14. What does it mean not under the law? For sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law but under grace. grace. Wow. We're under grace. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And we look in Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse 23. Galatians 3, 23. The Bible says, But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Jesus or unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. So, are we under the law? No, we're under grace. We didn't need it anymore because we've been led to Jesus. If you go over just another book, you find Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We discover here, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes were far off, were made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having been slain for the enmity. So as we find this and we look at it, what is it trying to tell us? 
We are saved by His blood. Isn't that what? That His blood cleanses us from how much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. And so as a result of that, we... Yeah, that's a little better, ain't it? Having abolished the what? The law. So we are no longer under the law. Why so many people make such a big issue out of keeping the commandments, you know, is just beyond me. Because the Bible is very clear in relationship to this. Go over to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Reading in verse 14. Colossians 2. By the way, if you're using a seminar Bible, that's page 1730. You know I've added the extra number up there for you, so it makes it easier for you to find it. Page 1742, Colossians chapter 2, and reading in verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, and triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drinks or in respect of holy days or in new moons or of the Sabbath days. Please note that's plural. Why is it plural? Yeah, I mean, if you were celebrating Passover, that was a Sabbath, you understand? If you were celebrating, you know, the the Feast of Tabernacles, that was a Sabbath. And then, of course, we have the seventh day is the Sabbath. Sabbath. So here we're talking about days. All right. Which were a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Therefore, what we're reading in the scriptures, did we need the law? Yes. What was the purpose? Bring us to Jesus. But now that we've accepted Jesus, we're no longer under the law. We're under grace. Jesus even took the law and nailed it to his cross. Why do people make such a big issue about the law? Jesus loves us and we're under grace. How many of you ever heard a sermon like that? You ever heard one like that? Okay. Now I want to preach another one. Okay. Let's begin over in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we read in verse 17. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. We discover this. Yeah, 1402 if you got your seminar Bibles. Think not that I am come to destroy the law. By the way, Red Letter Edition, who's talking? Jesus. Jesus. You know, if there was a misunderstanding, even in the Bible, between Jesus and, say, Paul, who would we give the benefit of the doubt to? Jesus, oh, okay. So even if you think you find a conflict between Jesus and Paul, by the way, you don't. It all agrees. But if you did, okay, then, hey, we would always take Jesus first because he said, I am the way, follow me, right? You know, I've got some people that, I mean, they are so dead set on taking two or three scriptures out of context, okay, and misusing what Paul said and misapplying it. And, and, And I look at them and I said, well, why do you call yourself a Christian? And they say, what? I say, why do you call yourself a Christian? Why don't you call yourself a Paulkin? You're following Paul, amen? Or at least you think you are. So don't call yourself a Christian. Call yourself a Paulkin. 
if you're going to follow Christ, then you're a Christian. And even if there was a conflict between the two, and there isn't, but if there was, who should we choose? Jesus. Amen? Jesus says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot and one tittle, dotting of the I, crossing of the T, shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. What is Jesus saying? Listen, if you question whether or not the law is still in effect, do this. As long as you still got ground under your feet, it's still there. If you can look up and see the sun, moon, and the stars, it's still there. That's what Jesus is saying, okay? I usually would stop there, but if I don't read the next verse, somebody's going to put a question in. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, the reason I say they turn in a question, they'll turn in a question and say, Jack, what is the least commandment? I don't know. I guess it's whichever one you don't think counts for much. Amen? I mean, there's ten, isn't there? And by the way, it's not ten suggestions. Okay? It's ten what? Commandments. But one of them to me might not mean as much as it does to you. But whichever one you don't think means a lot, okay, I guess that would be the least commandment. Would you agree with that? And if you teach the least commandment, you know, you're going to be called the what? The least in heaven. All right? So don't turn that question in. James, chapter 2. Jesus' brother. James, chapter 2. Right after Hebrews. Okay? And uh, if we turn over there, it's on page 1775. James, chapter 2. And we read here in verse 10. James says this, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in what? One point. He is guilty of how much? So in other words, if you don't keep the one that you don't even think counts for much, the least commandment, according to what James says, then even if you're not keeping that one, you're just guilty of breaking them all. Does that make sense? All right, he goes on to say, just so there's no question about what law he's talking about. He said, do not commit adultery, and also said, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, and yet if thou kill, thou art a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that should be judged by the law of liberty. Therefore, does the commandment still stand? Yes, you know, will you be keeping the commandments? Yes. To be saved? No, but because you are saved, Jesus says that it's not going to pass away. It didn't, you know, uh, get nailed to the cross. Oh, now we got a contradiction, Jack. No, we don't. It'll be plain before we're done. How many of you have ever heard a sermon like that one? Huh? One sermon says we are keeping the law. It still stands. You need to pay attention. Even if you break one, you're guilty of breaking them all. And the other one completely does away with the law and nails it to the cross. I've heard both kinds of sermons. 
in different churches, folks, okay? How in the world does it fit together? If Satan is mad at those who keep the commandments, they must still be alive and well, amen? If Jesus is, I mean, Satan is mad at those who read the Bible, not just the New Testament dispensationalists, but the whole Bible, Satan hates you. And if you think you can earn heaven, Satan loves you. But if you accept the fact there's nothing you can do to earn it, it was a free gift, he hates you. Does that make sense? That's what we read in Revelation. How do we fit it together? As we look at this, truth. We discover three things. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Okay? So number one definition of truth is who? Jesus Christ. And he says, if you ever get confused, just look and see which way I went and follow me. Amen? That's too simple, isn't it? Then over in John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is what? Truth. Wow. And then over in Psalms 119, 142, and 156, it says, All thy commandments are true. What's the three definitions of truth? The commandments the Word, and Jesus Christ. Now, do you understand why Satan's mad? All those things is what was listed in Revelation, and he hates it. It's that sound. How many of you have ever heard of this gentleman? Dr. Billy Graham. I'm sorry to see he's so old that he's having to retire, but anyway, Billy Graham uh, wrote an article for the newspaper. It was entitled, My Answer. People would write in and ask a question, and then he'd give them his answer from the Bible. Are you asking? One day I read in the Houston Times this question. Here's what it was. Some religious people I know tell me that the Ten Commandments are part of the law and do not apply to us today. They say that Christians are free from the law. Is this right? My answer, no, it is not right. And I hope you will not be misled by these false opinions. It is very important that Christians understand what the Bible means when it says they are free from the law. It certainly does not mean they are free from the obligations of the moral law of God and are at liberty to sin. You see, the word law is used by the New Testament writers in two senses. Sometimes it refers to the ceremonial law of the Old Testament, which was concerned about ritual matters and regulations regarding food and drink, and things of this kind. The ceremonial law was of a passing character and was done away when Christ came. From this law, Christians are indeed free. The Ten Commandments set forth in God's demands on the human life and man's duty to God and his neighbor that it definitely applies to the Christian is made clear in Romans 13, 8 to 10. Of course, it is quite true that a Christian is not saved by his efforts to keep the law. But as one who is saved by God's mercy through faith in Christ, he is under an obligation to obey God's law. 
And it has been said, in Christ we are free from sin, but not free to sin. If you love me, he said, keep my commandments. Wow. I guess we could just simply go home. Dr. Graham gave us an answer, didn't he? Now, as much as I respect Dr. Graham, I still want to know what says the Bible. But let's turn over and read Dr. Graham's verse, Romans chapter 13. Can we turn over and read that? He's the one that referred to it, that it definitely still stands today. So let's turn over to Romans chapter 13 and read what he said. Romans 13, beginning with verse 8. Romans 13 and verse 8. Here's what he says. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this, saying, namely, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. By the way, he's quoting Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Love worketh no evil to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And Dr. Graham says this proves that it still stands to this day. Wow. Paul said it. And sometimes people try to make Paul even misinterpret himself. Turn to Matthew chapter 22. Jesus said this. Matthew chapter 22. Verse 37. These religious leaders decided to send an attorney to ask Jesus a question. Now, you know why they sent an attorney. See, a trial lawyer is not concerned about truth at all. A trial lawyer is simply concerned about representing his client completely and getting the truth he wants out. It's the art of asking the right question. You understand that? And they're very, very tricky about it. All right? And so here, this religious group, they found a lawyer and sent him out And his question was, if we read it above above there, verse 36, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. By the way, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Quoting Leviticus 19, verse 18. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So if we were to summarize the Ten Commandments, it would be to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You think Paul understood this? He did, didn't he? You you know, this is, and catch the importance of the words here. On these two commandments, love God and love your neighbor, 
hang all of the commandments. Isn't that what he said? Now, let me ask you a question. If I go home tonight and I take off my shirt and I throw it into the dirty clothes hamper, what am I saying? I'm done with it until we wash it. Isn't that right? I'm done. But if I take it home and put it on a hanger and put it back in the closet, what am I saying? I'm going to wear it again. I'm not done with it yet. Did you catch what Jesus said? On these two commandments, love God, love your neighbor, hang all of the commandments. Is he done with them? No, I didn't come to, to, to do away with. I came to fulfill. Is it making sense as you're thinking about it? And this is how we put this together. It's important that we understand what the Bible is telling us. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. In verse 34, John 13 and verse 34. Here Jesus is talking again, and he says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also should love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Listen, folks, we don't prove we're Jesus' disciples by convincing everybody on our particular slant on things or by our choir or by whatever it is. We convince each other that we're Jesus' disciples by our love one for another. This is why you've heard me say before, you know, this fighting and feuding going on between the Christians has got to stop, Okay? Because I don't care what your difference is in doctrine. Hello? There's one thing we've got to be the same. And that's our love one for another. Isn't that right? And it says we should always defend our brother and sister. We should always give them the benefit of the doubt. They didn't do it to do wrong. They did it. They think they were doing right. Isn't that? You ought to go read 1 Corinthians 13. Particularly in the Living Bible. About the time you think you measure up, go read that chapter. That'll put you back in place where you belong, okay? Folks, this is what Jesus was saying. Back then, listen, the Pharisees were so exact, literally they would hire someone to go in front of them and sweep the ground so they wouldn't step on a bug and be guilty of thou shalt not kill. And yet in their heart, all the while they're planning... To kill Jesus. Can we get so sidetracked in religion that we can't see the forest because the stupid trees get in the way? You know? Listen, judge not lest ye be judged. Give your brother or sister the benefit of the doubt, okay? And just love them. Because even when you screw up, Jesus still loves you just the same, okay? Why can't we learn to be, treat each other that way? It's just beyond me. So, if we love God, the first four commandments pertain to our relationship with God. The last six pertain to our relationship one with another. And if we love Him, we're going to keep the first four, not to be saved, but because we love Him. If you 
love me. And if we love Jesus, then we're going to be like Jesus and love one another. And by this, they'll know our disciples. So we're going to keep the last six not to be saved, but because we are saved and we were showing we are Jesus' disciples. Am I making it plain? I want you to understand. If we go back over to Romans, how do these two fit together? Because the devil hates the law because I'm going to show you something in a few minutes. The law is a transcript of God's character. And if he can do away with the law, he can do away with God. And believe me, he wants to. In Romans 7 and verse 12. Oh, let's see, I, I want verse 7 first. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. No, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law said, Thou shalt not covet. In verse 12, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, just, and good. Go back to Romans chapter 3, just a couple pages back. And we discover here in chapter 3, Verse 20. Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And verse 15 of uh, chapter 4. Very next chapter. Verse 15. 4.15. Because the law worketh wrath. For wherefore there is no law, there is no transgression how many of you would agree there's sin in the world today then there has to be a law does that make sense that's what Paul is saying as we look at this and we begin to see I want to give you a little example are we saved by the law we're saved by through okay that's pretty simple isn't it alright and we don't want to complicate it But some people have a real problem in trying to put this together. And uh, I want to give you a little example. Maybe this will help you, okay? Now, one of you laughing. Why were you laughing? Oh, I see. Huh? What, what, Mike? I got marks on my face? I can't see it. No, I'm sorry. I can't see it. You ever met anybody like that? Be as plain as nose on your face? I can't see it, right? If I'm going to see it, what do I need? A mirror. A mirror. Oh, okay. I just happen to have one of those too. See? Okay. My goodness, I do. How many of you think I ought to clean it up? Huh? Okay. All clean. No? All clean. All clean? Stupid mirror. Show me I got dirt on my face and won't clean me up. Hmm. Yeah, I lost my microphone. That's okay. Stupid mirror. Showed I had dirt, won't clean me up. 
Now, if I'm going to get clean, what do I need? Yeah, with a little soap and water, yeah. Thank God I got one of those too. It was amazing. One night I was, happened to be in Texas where everybody thinks I'm from. I'm not. But anyway, I asked him, I said, is it all clean? Yeah, but you're still ugly. All clean? Yeah. I can't see it. You know? How do I know you guys just don't want to let me go out of here tonight and let somebody see me make fun of me? Huh? Is my face clean? I still have some? Huh? Oh, it's my microphone. Okay. Is my face clean? All of you agree my face is clean? Say yes. I can't see it. If I'm going to see it, what do I need? A mirror. I'm mad at that mirror. Show dirt on my face. Wouldn't clean me up. But if I'm going to see myself, I got to do what? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Ugly but clean. Anyway. What's my point, folks? The law is like a mirror. Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Laura. When we think about this, folks, the law simply shows I've got dirt on my face. Amen? It shows I'm in trouble. It shows me I'm totally lost without a Savior. Because blood flows from Calvary to cleanse every stain, every sin. And so unless I've gone to Jesus... I still have my sins. And I can be as mad as I want at the mirror, but my sins are going to stay there. But when I go to Jesus and I ask Him to forgive me, He cleanses me from all unrighteousness and my face is clean. Am I safe to throw the mirror away? Why? I might get dirty again. Yeah. Uh, Amen? Am I making this plain? How do they go together? Listen, folks, the purpose of the law is to point us to Jesus. That's the whole purpose. All right? And so the law shows we're in trouble. We need Jesus. And that's the purpose of the law. And Jesus said, it's all about love anyway in all of these things. So we look into the law. We see ourselves like Jesus sees us. And we just fall and ask him, forgive us. Now, Dr. Graham says there's two laws, the moral law and the ceremonial law, right? I want to show you that the law is God's character. Now, notice, God is, in Luke 18, 19, good. The law is, in Romans 7, 12, good. God is, in Isaiah 5.16, holy. The law is holy. Deuteronomy 16.18, God is just. And in Romans 7.12, the law is just. In Matthew 5.48, God is perfect. In Psalms 19.7, the law is perfect. In 1 John 4.8, God is love. And in Romans 13.10, the law is love. In Exodus 9.27, God is righteous. 
And in Psalms 19.9, the law is righteous. In Deuteronomy 32.4, God is truth. And in Psalms 119, verse 142, the law is truth. In 1 John 3.3, God is pure. In Psalms 19.8, the law is pure. In Malachi 3.6, God is immutable, unchangeable. And in Matthew 5.18, the law is immutable or unchangeable. In Genesis 21.33, God is eternal. And in Psalms 111, verse 7 and 8, the law is eternal. Huh? Oh, yes, it is. I could go on. I think that's enough, isn't it? Oh, did I just? Oh, just, oh first John. Oh, John four twenty four. The law. God is spiritual, and in Romans seven fourteen, the law is spiritual. Thank you, Laura. Do you understand now why Satan hates the law? You cannot look at the law. You don't see God. And Satan says, "I will be God." So one of the ways to do away with God is to do away with his law. It's that simple. And so he has went to variable deceivingness to deceive many Christians on this issue. How does it fit together? Like putting on a glove on your hand. You can't have one. Okay? So we just be able to remember it. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. Let's turn over and read there. Exodus 20 and verse 1. We discover here in Exodus 20 and verse 1 something very important. In verse 1 it says, and Exodus 20, verse 1, page 119, if you got your seminar Bibles, God spake all these words, saying... Who's talking? Now, you know, when God talks, time to pay attention. Amen? So here God's saying all these words, and he says, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I am thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the Father upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. You know, most people miss verse 6 is even in there. Who spake? God. Verse 7, Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain, for the Lord will not hold them guiltless that take his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother 
that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant or his ox or his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Wow. Who spake? God spake. And as we look at this, go over to chapter 31. Just over a few pages. Chapter 31. And I want you to notice this. In verse 18. And the Bible says, And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him, upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. Why is it called the testimonies? Who spake all these words? Amen? And the testimony is God's word. Are you with me? That's why it shows that way. So who spoke? Who wrote? God. God. Now you remember the story? Moses came down and they were doing what? (laughs) You know what's really amazing? If we went back to chapter 20, it says, All that God said we will do. Huh? How long did that last? Less than 40 days. <laughs> Moses came down off the mountain, and what did he do? He took the commandments and did what? Threw them down. Now God, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, okay, verse 1. At that time the Lord said unto me, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first. And come up into the mountain and make thee an ark of wood. I will write on the tablets the words that were in the first tablets which thou breakest. And thou shalt put them in the ark. I made an ark of shittim wood and hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. And went up on the mount having the two tables in my hand. And he wrote on the tables according to the first writing the ten commandments. Which the Lord spake unto you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly, and God gave them to me. And I turned myself and came down from the mount and put the tables in the ark which I had made, and there they be as the Lord commanded me. Wow. Now, think about this. I have to believe, I think Moses was a pretty smart man. You know, in Egypt, I think he had at least a master's degree, if not a doctorate. He was no stupid individual. Couldn't he, after he'd hewed the two tables of stone, chisel back in there what God said? Sure he could have. I believe that. But you see, then people would have said, well, that's Moses' law. You ever heard that? That's Moses' law. God says, "Uh uh-uh, we ain't doing that one. You bring him back up here and I'll write him again. Because it's not Moses' law. It's mine. I spoke it, I wrote it. Now I'm going to tell you something, I'm just a country boy. You know, if I was going to take issue with anything in this scriptures, I could take issue with Paul or John or the rest of them and say, you know, I understand why you said what you said, but I think this, right? What's the one thing I couldn't take issue with? 
what God spoke and wrote. Amen? Can't be any mistake there. Right? And yet, what is the one thing everybody wants to mess with? The very thing God spoke and wrote. Isn't that crazy? You know, people try to be able to downplay some of this. Well, that's the old Moses law or the Mosaic law or that's the old Jewish law. Let me tell you something. (laughs) The more Jewish it is, probably the more authentic it is. Amen? After all, what was Jesus? You know, this was written by Jews with the exception of one. That was Luke. Okay? So don't let somebody try to tear it away from you. Just keep in mind. God spoke it, and God wrote it. And what did he write it on? Two tables of stone. Now, I want you to go over to, we're still in Deuteronomy, chapter 31. Dr. Graham said there's two laws. Well, let's take a look and see. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 9. And the Bible says... And Moses wrote this law. Who wrote? And delivered it unto the priest of the sons of Levi, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and sent unto all of the elders of Israel. Wow. He did this. He wrote what? He wrote this law. Uh Uh-huh. Ah. Is there two laws? Apparently so, isn't there? All right. So we begin to see there's two laws. Now we discover something else. Where did he write this law? Go over to verse 24. And it came to pass that when Moses had made an end of writing the words of this law in a what? They were finished. And Moses commanded the Levites which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord saying, Take this book of the law and put it in the side of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against thee. Hmm. God spoke and wrote on what? And Moses wrote a law in a... Now, I want to be clear. Moses didn't sit down and arbitrarily write a law. God told him what to write. Are you with me? And in this was more than just the ceremonial law about bringing a lamb or bringing a bull or whatever it was. This was even the civil law. Are you with me? I'm telling you something. Basically, every law we have in this country is based on God's law. I wish, though, they'd go back to what God said. Okay? Rather than sticking in man. What am I talking about? Listen, if somebody breaks into your house and steals your TV, according to God, they not only got to return your TV, they got to buy you three more. Hello? Nuts with going to jail. Get yourself out, get a job, and pay this man back. Now, hey, I, I'd like to own a, own a Mercedes about that time. Let somebody steal it. I'd end up with four of them. I could sell three, amen? You know what I'm saying? I wish they'd go back to what God said. So it wasn't just the ceremonial law, but it was written in a book. There were also dietary laws. Listen, folks. There's a law of nature. Y'all know what the law of nature is? Huh? (laughs) You defile the law of nature, you could get hurt. You know, it wasn't meant for man to fly. Hello? If you go up in a tree and jump out, 
I guarantee you, you're going to hit the ground, okay? <laughs> you know, if I get on a 747 and head for New York, it's not my idea to get on it and go down, okay? But it's not natural, you understand that? So there's the law of nature. There were the civil laws. There were the dietary laws. There's, of course, God's law that he spoke and wrote. And there were also the ceremonial laws, okay? So there's really five laws the Bible talks about in the Bible, one of those was nailed to the cross. And we're going to see why. It'll make sense to you as we go along. One written in a book. I want to show you the two div divisions. In the moral law, or the moral precepts, called the royal law, spoken by God, written by God, placed inside the ark, it existed before sin. The purpose was to reveal sin. It was complete, perfect, holy, just, and good. It's eternal, and it is established by the gospel. Somebody says, what do you mean it existed before sin? Without the law, there is no sin. Amen? How many of you think he had to write it down for the angels? What law did Lucifer break? Well, I think number one. Amen? <laughs> Thou shalt have no other God. You know, I think he broke number ten, coveting. I think he broke a few in between, don't you? As a result of that, he ended up throwing, thrown out of heaven, okay? It existed long before he wrote it down, folks. Do you know that from Abraham, I'm sorry, from Adam down to Abraham, do you know that Shem, who knew Abraham, that's Noah's son, Shem knew Abraham, and, and he knew Adam, he knew Abraham for 150 years. Do you really think that from Adam to Abraham, they didn't explain what God's law was? They didn't need to write it down. Amen? There wasn't that many generations in between. But, you know, they went down into Egypt. They were there over 400 years. They became more Egyptian than they were Israelite. And so when they came out, God wrote it down. But the law has always existed, folks. What about the moral precepts or the ceremonial called the commandments contained in ordinances? God spoke them to Moses. Moses spoke them to the people. Moses wrote them in a book. It was placed beside the ark. It was given after man had sinned. The purpose was to reveal a remedy for sin. Subject to change, they made nothing perfect. They were temporary and nailed to the cross. What happened if you sin? You were supposed to bring a little lamb to the courtyard of the house. You were supposed to kneel down and put your hands on the lamb, confess all of your sins, and then you were to take a knife and slit that poor little lamb's throat. Who is the lamb of God? Behold the lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Who was nailed to the cross? Do you understand why we haven't got to sacrifice a lamb anymore? The lamb already died. You only had to do it once. But you see how they go together in relationship? Listen, folks. That little lamb was innocent, just like Jesus. And yet we confessed our sins. In each of this, it talks about nailing the law to the cross. Jesus nailed Passover to the cross. Why? They were to take a little lamb, right? Slay it. 
and paint the blood of the lamb over the doorhouse, doorpost. And if you did, the death angel would pass over. Isn't that right? Today, folks, if you paint the blood of Jesus over your heart, you don't have to die. You'll live forever. Does that make sense? So Jesus took and nailed Passover to his cross. He didn't need that anymore. Because the real lamb had came and died. Then, of course, there's a feast of the unleavened bread. Who is the bread of life? Now, they were not supposed to have any yeast in this bread. Why was they not supposed to have any yeast? Because it represented sin. It's the same way with grape juice. They didn't use grape juice that had alcohol in it. Why? Alcohol represented sin. It's that simple. You know, I wondered about this. You know, I'll tell you later. But how in the world did they keep grape juice without alcohol in it. Why it naturally does it. You know what I discovered? You know the computer's amazing thing. Do you know they know how they knew how to make concentrate? And whenever they'd have one of these feasts and they made wine to go with it, they would reconstitute the concentrate and it did not have alcohol in it. Isn't that an amazing fact? Wow. Jesus went to the grave without sin. He took this law and he nailed it to his cross. And by the way, each of these is called a Sabbath. We look at this, the first fruits. You were supposed to bring the first of whatever your harvest was and give it to God at the temple. And as a result of that, it showed that God owned what you did and he had given it to you. As we look at this, Jesus, because of him, is the first fruits of the resurrection. And because of him, the dead in Christ shall rise first. We no longer have to celebrate this Sabbath. He nailed it to his cross. Am I making it plain? I could stand up here for another hour and nail to the cross, okay? The, the Sabbath of the red heifer and blah, blah, blah. All of these things. But Jesus took them. Why? Because they represented him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my what? I, I want six volunteers. And Silva's sitting on the first row, so she's the first volunteer. Come on up here and help me. Huh? Let's get our registration. Come on up and give me a hand. That's three. Heidi, that's four. Okay, Mike, you might as well come up here too. Okay, they've got five. I need one more. Okay. Laura, are you going to come up here and stand? Okay, girl. By the way, she's a walking miracle. We ain't going to talk about that tonight, but she is. God has really been good to this lady. Now, some people are told, even by pastors, that the law is no more. It's been done away with. Now, I'm going to rename each of these, and when I point to them, I want you to say their name. Are you with me? Okay, God spoke and wrote his law. Very good, okay. God spoke and wrote his law. And if we break the law, the wages of breaking the law is death. Amen? And so we have along came sin, right? So we have, which was breaking the law and breaking the is sin. and the wages of sin. is death. 
we're completely lost. Would you understand that? Now, because of, and the wages of, is, then we discover that because of the, and because of, we need a Savior. Amen. So we have a who came because of which was breaking the law and breaking the law is and we need a now the news about the is called the gospel very good so we have the that tells about the that came because of which was breaking the law wow they're really doing good tonight aren't they Mona? okay now, because we have the, we hire these preachers to tell the, about the, who came because of, which was breaking the law. And when we break the, it is, we need a, and so the, and the preacher tells us, or the preacher tells us the, about the, and guess what? We all join the church. So we have the because the told the about the who came because of which was breaking the wow. Heidi, you can go sit down. Thank you very much. Now if we have none of this, there is no thank you. And if we have none of this, and we don't have any of this, do we need a? Thank you, Laura. So if we have none of this, and we don't have any of this, and we didn't need Jesus, then we certainly don't have a gospel. And we might as well fire all these preachers, and we might as well sell these what? And put the money to some good use. Amen? Now do you understand why Jesus says it all hangs on the law? Hello? Don't let any preacher tell you that it's been done away with. It's not. It's still there. We keep it because we love him, not because we have to. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Let's stand together as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for making your subject plain. Remind us, Father, we're not saved by the law. We're saved by your grace and through the grace of your Son, Jesus. I pray tonight that the Holy Spirit will give us the faith to trust Jesus and to trust you who you have said we have eternal life. But you both say, if you love me, keep my commandments. Father, we want to do this because we are your children and we do love you. So thank you for showing us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.